0: Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners of the land this podcast was recorded on, pays tribute to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in Yarrow and elsewhere, and gives respect to Elders past, present and emerging. During this next stage of restrictions, we'll deliver you regular Short Story Club episodes at the Arrow Libraries podcast. As you'll know, the Short Story Club discusses a short story every meeting, before moving on to their other recommendations. In this episode, Connor and Tegan discuss the activist potential of science fiction, dropout culture versus social collectivism, and other questions provoked by Ursula K. Le Guin's The Ones Who Walk Away from Mamelis. Then, as usual, they'll move on to their current isolation reading and watching. Now, this discussion is best enjoyed after you've read The Ones Who Walk Away From Amelis, so if you're not familiar with it, press pause, go away, and pick up a collection that includes it, such as Outer Space, Inner Lands. Alternatively, you can search for it by name online. It's in a few different places, including readings on YouTube, if someone reading to you is what you're after. When you're done, come back and press play again.
1: Yeah, thanks, Megan. So today uh, we're going to be talking about uh, The Ones Who Walk Away from Amalus, which is a very short, short story by Ursula K. Le Guin. It comes in at about four pages, but in those four pages, it's just packed full of so much interesting stuff and difficult questions. When I was trying to categorize it or explain it to people, I would call it part short story, part thought experiment. One of our participants in this morning's session, uh, Hong, described it as Le Guin creating this description of a painting, which I just cannot stop thinking about now. I think that's a really wonderful way to think about it. So it begins with this gorgeous kind of lush description of the city of Omelas, uh, which is almost, I suppose, a utopic it's probably as close as you can get to a utopic city to start off with. But as she kind of goes through and takes you through these complexities and, uh, I guess, kind of beautiful imagery, she's constantly kind of addressing the reader, asking them if they, I suppose, believe this, th- this description that she's giving, which in turn builds some really interesting tension, I think. And then eventually the, it is revealed, I suppose, that everything is not as Utopic as you uh, would think. So yeah, I went on a real journey with this story, <laughs> and I would really like yeah to know Connor what your journey looked like through the ones who work away from Amelis. What did you, what did you think?
2: Yeah, I really loved the story. I had actually read a rebuttal piece to it before I had read the original source material, so it already felt familiar to me. But I thought it was such an interesting. Incredible thought exercise, exactly as as you've put it. But it's still a narrative, and it's still compelling, and it still tells a story. It doesn't just feel like some kind of absurd, pretentious little exercise in how to have an ethical question, which I think Le Guin pulls off so well because it does still feel like there's still characters and story in it. I had a sense of foreboding from like the beginning, and I did think that potentially this was going to go sour. I don't know if that's because of the way that we've been trained to read stories or if that's just my pessimistic, cynical side coming out again and not really believing that this wonderful, perfect society could really be all that perfect. And I guess in the end it wasn't. But I really found that the ethical questions that are raised in this story are so, so, so relevant to like today i I think they're so relevant to everything that we still deal with. Um, this story was written quite a while ago, and I think it could still be taking place today right now
1: mm, I totally agree and i'm I'm glad that you brought up the idea that, that you or the feeling that you you were expecting something to go wrong because I felt exactly the same, and it's very interesting in this story though because Le Guin calls you out for that about halfway through. She directly kind of asks you or talks about like why stories, we, we expect stories to be about pain and, and, and suffering and why that is kind of lauded, I guess, as like high art. And those those questions are just, I found, so compelling and interesting. And it was at that point where the sh- story kind of shifted for me and I realised that it was not quite what I was expecting. There's this line... Uh, it goes, the trouble is we have a bad habit encouraged by pedants and sophisticates of considering happiness as something rather stupid. Yeah, that line really knocked the wind out of me for its content, I guess. And also, yeah, just because it was the first time that it addressed, or it's one of the, around the time where she starts to address you and ask you, kind of call you out for this, like, why do you think that this place cannot exist? And yeah, I was wondering, was there, did you have a shifting point when reading this
2: story as well? Yeah, I think it was, Um, I think it was similar to yours in that I really love the device that Le Guin used of kind of breaking the fourth wall. I love it when she begins to talk to you, the reader. And so, yeah, I think that that is probably the point at which the tone shifted for me. And it's also the point which always delights me in a piece is that's when I really remembered, like actively remembered that this is a piece that is written by a woman because it felt very much like this is a call out of uh, pedants and sophisticates who I think we can agree, largely men, uh, who feel that art has to be miserable and it has to be tortured and it has to come from a place of pain and that happiness is saccharine and sickly and overrated when really the hardest thing to do in writing is to write happiness that is realistic and to write a happy ending that will still satisfy you without giving you that overly sickly sweet feeling. But it's still happy. There's just, there's just absolutely nothing wrong with making your characters happy. And I think it's harder to do than making them miserable so, yeah, I really, I really loved that she kind of pulled that out. It really made me think about why I so expect in every piece of media that I consume that something will go wrong because it doesn't always have to. No, that's so true. Yeah,
1: I, that idea of it being so much more difficult to write a happy ending. Yeah, I it's true. I've t- I've tried to do it, and it's uh, I I don't know if I've always succeeded, but it's it's a lot harder work. You really have to think about what happiness is and how to describe it in a or, or how to create it in a way that still feels real. It's so much easier. And I I was wondering if it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of like it's easier because we expect it and it just keeps going like around and around, kind of like a a little hamster in a wheel, I suppose. Yeah, I love that she. You can, yes, you can definitely kind of tell that she's she's having a bit of a stab at the kind of cult of the the tortured artist and the who are predominantly male, as as you correctly identified. I also think perhaps she's having a bit of a go at the way that literary fiction is kind of. Upheld or favoured over genre fiction in terms of looking at these like big ideas and and complex questions. And I'm so interested in like the way that she writes science fiction and fantasy and how she uses these genres to tackle some some of the biggest questions of like of her time, and like, as you correctly said, things that we are still dealing with today. And yeah, I wondered if you had any thoughts on like this kind of idea of science fiction and how it can be used to kind of explore these huge things that we're dealing with in our own worlds and societies.
2: Yeah, absolutely. This was probably my favourite thought that came out of this story because I, so I'm more of a genre reader than I am a literary fiction reader. I will read literary fiction, but it's not my go-to. It's not necessarily always the viewpoint from which I particularly want to see the world. I think that fantasy and sci-fi provide a really wonderful Trojan horse way of of talking about the things that really matter in our lives and the things that are really difficult to talk about. And I think that when they're couched in a different world, that maybe looks completely different to our own and it can be fantastical and it can be, it can be in space it can be you know up a magical mountain i think once you take those issues and you place them in a different landscape that doesn't look like our day-to-day lives it provides a much easier jumping off point for people to start thinking about issues like race and gender and homophobia and all of the things that we still very much deal with. And for me, I felt that um, Omelas was an exploration of class. That's really the one that, that came to mind for me. I think it is deliberately broad so that it can be up to your own interpretation of what you you find that the child represents. But for me, it was about class and it was about what we give up in order to maintain our own position in society and I think that putting it in this context of a completely separate world to our own is really clever because it does allow for a certain amount of detachment and with that detachment it means that you don't bristle as easily and it maybe allows for a little more introspection than reading a piece of nonfiction about our world in this way would.
1: Yeah, that's such a such a good observation. I'm glad that you kind of yeah, you brought up the the child and and within that context. And also that idea of like the child representing what you have to give up cuz yeah, for me, for me the child kind of represented this idea of like everything that I'm either willing to either accept or ignore to like have the life that I have now. And that made me think about, you know, the how in in reference to things like change and, like, the decisions that we have to make, like, the immediate kind of response is to think about, like, okay, so what does that cost me? As opposed to thinking about, well, what could I gain from making this, like, what gains could we make as a society from making this difficult decision? And science fiction, I think, is a really good way of, like, exploring that because you can kind of take the position of, like, you can create the world. You can, you can imagine the gains, I suppose. Like, that's a really kind of great exit. And I think that's what Le Guin does is she, like, takes these ideas and, like, looks at them from another side. I think perhaps a kind of not where Le Guin falls down, but where she kind of shows the the kind of time that she's writing from is this kind of binary that she gives of... Choosing to stay and accepting that the your happiness is is dependent on the child suffering or walking away. For me, I was kind of I was kind of hoping or kind of looking for a, a, I guess a third option, an option that didn't predicate on staying but ignoring the child suffering, I suppose. And uh, that story, the story that you mentioned. At the beginning that you read before this one, the companion story, which I also read later. <laughs> so thank you for that recommendation. It was it helped really contextualize this thing that I was looking for. The story is called uh, "The Ones Who Stay and Fight" by uh, N.K. Jemison. and it kind of showed this third option or this third space where people stay but they choose to try and create this kind of society that does not depend on one child suffering, I suppose. So yeah, I was yeah, curious to know your thoughts on on how you felt about the the binary of, of the staying and the and the and the leaving that Le Guin sets up in this this, this experiment.
2: I thought it was a really interesting binary Because within the, so within the confines of this thought experiment, you do only have two choices. And I felt exactly the same as you in that I wanted a third choice. uh, And I felt that a third choice would have been truer to the person that I really hope that I am, which is a person that would stay within that society, but revolutionize and fight back against the injustice and the society's boot on the neck of the child which is how I like to see myself in life anyway but within Le Guin's story the only choice is stay and ignore or leave on your own principles and I like to think that within that world I would leave but you never I mean you never really know unless you're placed in that particular situation but I was so pleased to have had the Jemison piece because while she created a world that is just as dark, I feel, as Le Guin's because it is a world in which there is still murder and it's pretty much a fascist society that she has created. It provided more of an opportunity to stay and fix the world that we have rather than walk away and give up and create your own little enclave away from the millions of other people that still have to exist in this twisted world. So yeah, I definitely think that the binary was an interesting viewpoint, but I found it a lot more meaningful reading it with Jemison's rebuttal piece. Even though it was still a pretty awful, dark society, it felt more hopeful than Le Guin's. Yeah, I think it's really,
1: it really, that story really opens up the conversation around the responsibility that you have to society to kind of try and make things better uh, for the people that you share the world with. And yeah, I, I come back to this idea, I think the binary that Le Guin explores is kind of indicative of, I suppose, the time that she was writing from. I think this pub this was published around it wasn't like the early seventies and there was a huge kind of where there was a huge kind of movement of dropping out and like moving away from society and all of that kind of stuff that was happening around the war at the time and and that like that also comes through a bit she does mention quite a bit about uh, kind of the lack of war and and weapons and stuff in this story but yeah I I agree I really love the two stories together I think they really benefit from being read. And I think they really offer each other some really, really great jumping off points and really interesting ideas. And yeah, really helped me conceptualise the thing that I felt was missing from the Le Guin story.
2: Yeah, I completely agree. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there because I think what you get out of the Jemison piece more so than the Le Guin is a sense of collectivism. And even if it's not a particularly nice society, it is a collective society. And I think that in Jemison's world, which I believe was called um Umhalat, you get more of a sense of obligation to one another because everybody in that society is working together to ensure that the perfection of it stays. I think your insight around when this was written as well in terms of the anti-war movement is is really, really interesting. I've thought a lot about it because I do think that it is a very particular place and time in history that, that she was writing from and I think that there's still a lot of relevance in that today but I do think that it has become trendier and more individualist and has lost a lot of that collective nature to opt out of certain aspects of society and I think there is a lot of inherent privilege in opting out of parts of society and I had a lot of feelings about the notion of just being able to just give up and abandon all the other people around you Uh, and I think about that a lot but I think that this story really encapsulated that not necessarily in a negative way I've also read a lot of really interesting theories about what the walking away from Omelas really symbolised. And I read a really interesting one that hadn't occurred to me that was, well, when faced with the horror of this society and the hopelessness that the rest of the world has accepted it and that you would have no way of changing it that by walking away you're actually just killing yourself like you're taking yourself out of society which hadn't occurred to me at all which is even bleaker than the my original thought.
1: Wow yeah I did not pick on that up on that at all I yeah I guess I was yeah I was working so hard or I my brain had already decided to put it in this historical context I'd even considered that walking away could be a metaphor for just walking away from your life that's that's really interesting so uh yeah we've been talking about this story for a little while now Uh, I was wondering if you had any recommendations Connor of uh, other stuff that you've been reading recently uh, that you'd like to you know have a chat about
2: Yes, I do actually. I unconsciously have been reading on the same theme this week. So for my feminist book club uh, that I participate in outside of work, because that's the kind of librarian I am, I have been reading this absolutely horrifying, compelling, wonderful sci-fi novel. So it's called An Unkindness of Ghosts and it's by Rivers Solomon. And Rivers Solomon is a queer, non-binary author of colour. And this novel is set on this massive spaceship. So it's a real sci-fi novel. It's like an in-space novel. And it's set on this huge, huge spaceship that perfectly reflects the antebellum South. So it's a novel essentially about slavery. It's quite dark, as you could imagine. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be a happy novel. But It's managed that thing that we were talking about earlier of using sci-fi and using a different world to reflect our own humanity and to reflect the world that we live in. And a lot of it is extremely familiar, even though maybe the world is a little bit different and some of the kind of made up jargon is different, but it's very much the world that we live in. And, yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. It's disturbing, but it's incredibly compelling and it's really really nice to read queer fiction it is very explicitly queer and it's also done a really good job of using a sci-fi world to do things like play around with the use of pronouns and just give a different excuse to the to I guess the reasons that we would play with pronouns in like reality in our world, that it has a lot of different backstory around that. So yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. I can't recommend it if you would like a happy, fluffy light read, but I can recommend it if after reading this story, you're interested in how sci-fi can reflect our humanity.
1: Oh, that sounds so good. I would love to read that at some point. Perhaps not now though, because I'm also reading Quite a dark book, but also a really, really, really compelling and interesting one. I uh, managed to get a copy of In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Machado. Um, Yay! Yeah, I was very lucky. So I'm reading that and it is so interesting. It is tough, obviously, because it it is a memoir about her experiences with living through A abusive relationship, but she does such an interesting and great job of looking at it through all these different lenses, through all these tropes and ideas and just looking at it from all of these different angles and really going into what it means to be not only in like an abusive relationship but an abusive relationship as a queer woman with another queer woman and talks about like all of the, I guess, complexities implications all of that stuff but also through these lenses of popular culture she uses a lot of fairy tale and folk tale motifs to kind of look at these things and yeah just just such a great way of teasing out like how society and how the world has kind of built this up over years and years and years of stories and and things like that so that you know abuse continues to be I guess perpetrated and exist in the world. So it's uh it's it's incredible, but it is hard going.
2: <laughs> it certainly doesn't sound light, but I definitely no. want to read it. Yeah, I guess you should. I've also been watching. This isn't particularly light either. I feel like I really need to find something lovely and romantic to kind of offset this stuff. However, I have also been watching the Normal People adaptation. Oh, what um, is that like? So it is, so I'm really enjoying it from the perspective of having read the book. I think that if you haven't read the book beforehand, it loses so much because you lose all of their inner monologues, really, particularly with Connell's character. And otherwise, I feel like if you haven't already read the book and understand him and understand what's going on in his head, then he's such a boring character. He just stands around and he says nothing. But I'm really, really enjoying the adaptation. I'm finding that it's really done an incredible job of distilling feelings, which I think that media doesn't always do so well. There's such like a melancholy about it and they've done it in that kind of melancholy teenage, young, adolescent way that we like to make fun of, but I think we all remember how it feels to feel that way and they've done it in a way that isn't sneering at it. So I'm really enjoying it. Oh, that's great.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. Now that I'm, because I've read the book too. And now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, Connell has such a great amount of depth, but he's he's not a very good communicator. Like that's the whole point of his character, right? And so (laughs) having an actor try to portray that without being able to have much
2: dialogue is so, it's, that's that's a tough job. He's done a good job of it. Like he's a very good actor. I'm only halfway through, but I told mum to watch it because it's Irish and I <laughs> thought that she would enjoy it. And she got halfway through and she messaged me and she was like, it's so
0: boring. He doesn't <laughs> say anything. That was Tegan and Connor discussing Ursula K. Gwyns, The Ones Who Walk Away from Mamelis. We hope you enjoyed it. Want to discuss these stories with us in person? Well, in person online? We run the Short Story Club currently on Zoom every second Wednesday. You can register for upcoming July meetings via the Yarra Libraries website, with August and September meetings soon to be released. We have stories by Alice Munro and Zadie Smith coming up soon, so this is a month that you won't want to miss. If you're keen to read any of the books mentioned in this discussion, check out our show notes, or have a browse through our Cloud Library collection if you're a Yarra Libraries member. Missing physical books? We feel you. Follow Yara Libraries on social media and subscribe to our newsletter to be the first to know when we're able to get those to you again. And remember, the doors might be closed right now, but you can always reach us by phone or by email. We'll get back to you as soon as possible. Happy reading.